You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Good evening, good evening. Thank you so much for joining me on this evening. Again, you are listening to the Manifesting God podcast. I am your host, Marie Elizabeth, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth. I thank you so much for joining me today. It is so good to see all of you. God has kept us, has he not? He's kept us through danger, seen and unseen. He's kept us through illnesses we know not of, some we had to come face to face with and conquer but God indeed has kept his promise and he is a healer, is he not? He is a healer. And I just thank God today for Jesus Christ. I thank him that we have access to the gift of salvation, to the gift of salvation. And I'm going to continue with my uh, going through the churches and what the spirit is saying to the churches in Revelations. And we're continuing with our series to know what church that we are of. And it, it's a time where God is, is, is basically through these letters. I feel like God is, 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 uh, trying to get his people's attention. He's trying to get the people of God. He's trying to get their attention, give them opportunity to repent. Why? Because God himself has turned a corner and he is about to sit in the remnant our way, but we must be prepared, amen, to minister God to the people of God because God's word God's word does not return to him null and void. It does accomplish what he set it out to do, what he purposed it to do. And we as a people of God have to make sure, we want to be sure that we are aligned with his word as we begin to open things back up. And as we begin to get out there, God has been calling his people that if you find yourself, if you find yourself in one of these churches, he's calling us to a place of repentance. Why? So that we can be used for his glory. Yeah, it's called grace. It's called grace. He's administering grace so that we can be used for his glory. And he has left us these letters to learn by to learn by, to grow by, to change by, to change by. And we're going to continue on. Remember, we started off, we started off with the church of Ephesus. And when we started off with that particular church, remember they were noted as having left their first love. And then uh, we went to the church of Smyrna and this particular church, they were, they were a church that received the letter just to encourage them in the suffering way, in the poverty way, to encourage them in their suffering to know that even, even unto death, that Christ would have waiting for them, waiting for them, a crown of life. And then we went to um, the church of Pergamos and this particular church, God had to come to them as a sharp 
two-edged sword. And he came to them because they had let in the doctrine of Balaam. They had, they got to the point where they were beginning to doctrinize their disbelief. They were beginning to put that thing into a form so that it could be practiced, so that it could be practiced. And God had to come and rebuke them sharply and demand that they repent, that they repent. There's a constant theme throughout these letters. Repent, repent, and I will receive you, but you must, but you must repent. Then last week we talked about the church of Thyatira and they were ones that not only had they begin to doctrinize, doctrinize, not only had they begin to doctrinize their, their, their beliefs and their practices of the flesh, they began, they assigned leadership to it. And we know that leadership as Jezebel and that leadership protected that which served them. They protected that which believed that which believed on their name. They protected those who were willing to follow that false doctrine, follow that doctrine of Balaam, follow the, uh, the do doctrine of the flesh, follow after the flesh and, and treat the spirit as if that was separate, but we could do whatever we wanted to do in the flesh. They began to eat the sacred things that were offered to God. They had very little regard for God. So they established a defense a defense for the doctrine, for the doctrine that they themselves created to what? A key word that we kept talking about last week, to make themselves comfortable. They wanted to be comfortable doing what they were doing, doing what they wanted to do. It it, it gets to a point, and we all have experienced this, where all of a sudden what God is requiring seems so incredibly difficult, seems so incredibly hard, so incredibly hard. However, however, while it may be hard in the flesh, the spirit is ever willing to be submissive to God. Paul said that he fought that battle. He fought that battle, but he overcame he overcame. He overcame it. And we too can overcome. It's all about our choices. It's all about our choices. And we're going to continue here with the message to Sardis. And I'm reading in the Amplified Version. So let's go to chapter three in Revelations. And I'm hoping that us going through these letters will remove that, that, that stain of fear that has been placed on us throughout our lives to avoid this book, to avoid what the spirit is saying to the churches in this book. For in these letters is grace. For in these letters is mercy. Because otherwise, Christ didn't have to say anything. God didn't have to say anything. He could have just came and cut them down. He could have just came and just cut them off. But he decided to come and remind them of not only who they were, but who he is in them. And he gave them a choice. And the choice was you simply return back to your first love. You simply forsake the religion or the practice of Balaam. You simply move away from what has been defending you, defending your wrong, defending your opposition to me. Walk away from it and come back to me if you just repent. I will hear you. I will hear your cry and I will heal you. I will heal you. Because remember that two-edged sword, it cut away. It cut away. One part of it cut away that which was 
infecting the, the children of God. And the other part of the sword applied the bomb to heal it, to seal it up and to heal it. So there is healing. There is healing, but we have to repent. We have to repent. Let's go to Revelations 3. Revelations 3, and I am in the Amplified Version. And in the Amplified Version, it reads as thus, to the angel, and in parentheses, it has divine messenger of the church of Sardis write. These are the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your deeds. You have a name. In other words, you have a reputation that you are alive. And then in parentheses in the amplified version, it says, in reality, in reality, you are dead. In reality, you are dead. You are dead. Now, I want to just pause right at that verse because he says here, you know, I know your name. So I know what you're called. I know what everyone's saying about you, but you need to know what I'm saying about you. I know they say that you're alive. I know they say you're Holy Ghost filled and fire baptized. I know that's what they say about you, but you need to know what I say about you, God is saying, because I know your heart and you appear to be alive, but you indeed are dead. And as I begin to read through this passage, I begin to think on the church today. I begin to think on the church today. And there's one thing that I've noticed in our churches today, and it goes both ways. And that is this. And I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I was able to tell you what God was showing me as I read through this. And I noticed that in our churches today, that the people tend to be known by their leadership. So, so, and it doesn't matter if their leadership is good or bad leadership, they tend to be known by their leadership. So if their leader is strong and if their leader is known to be um, a man or a woman of faith, if their leader is boisterous, uh, can articulate the word of God with power and authority, and, and, and they're known to be a student of the word of God and they operate in the power of God, then it's assumed that the people are the same. It's assumed that the people are the same. Now, an opposing view to that is that if the leader is not faithful to God and if the leader has no clear, no clear relationship with God and it's evident before everyone, everyone knows that Rev sleeps around. Everyone knows that Rev got a girlfriend. Everyone knows that Rev curses. Everyone knows uh, these things about that particular leader. Then it's assumed that the people are just as messy. It's, it's, a, it's an assumption that is made about those who uh, are under that particular leader, that they are just as messy. And here's the issue with both views. They both, both of those views give people something to hide behind. They give people something to appear to be. They appear to be. After all, neither, neither presentation are the people up front. 
So when the leader is when the leader is out and about, the people aren't what is up front. It is the lead, it is the p is that leader that everyone sees. They don't see the people, so they make assumptions about the people based on the leader. And so those that are willing to hide behind the leader in the case where you have a strong leader, where you have a leader that studies the word of God, when you have a leader that is able to exegete the scriptures, when you have a leader that is able to give you the revelation, you are you are able to hide behind that leader. And then as that leader exposes the enemy for who it is, it's that leader alone who takes the blows. It's that leader alone who takes the blows for truth. And it takes the it is the it's that leader alone that that you hide behind. It's this. And guess what? It's the same thing with the false leaders. Whatever they are doing, whatever they are doing, they have to take those blows. And guess what? You could be doing very much the same thing. The people can be doing very much the same thing, but nobody's looking at the people because their eyes are on the leader. And it's the leader that's taking the fall for their choices, right? So it's the leader that's taking that fall for those for those horrible choices that they have made, and rightfully so. But the people, the nobody's thinking about the people behind that are hiding behind that leader that are doing the same, whether good or bad, whether good or bad. So we have to consider that. We have to consider that for where, for what God is saying to this particular church, because he's telling them, I know your deeds and you appear to be alive, but in fact, you are dead. So let me speak up now. Let me, let me, let me speak up now for those leaders who are, who are, who are strong, who are boisterous, who study the word of God, who can exergete the scriptures, who can operate in powers. They can operate in any of the fivefold governmental offices at any given time as God leads because they're fasting, because they're praying, because they're studying the word of God, but the people behind them the people behind them. God is saying, I know your lives. I know your deeds and why you appear to be alive. While you appear to be alive, you are indeed dead. What is he saying here? He's saying, you're not growing. You're not coming into a knowledge of the truth. Your leader is doing their part. They're bringing you there but you have made a decision not to go there. Now, for the leader who is doing all the sinful acts that I previously named, and they're messy, and the people behind them are messy, but there are few people who are not, who are living, trying their best to live as holy as they can. They choose not to engage in, in the particular, they, they go to that ministry for whatever purpose. Maybe it's the only one in their facility and they don't have a vehicle and there's no public transportation near them, but they come because they want to be fellowshiped with the spirit of God, but they know that their leader is walking in a mess. Shame on you because now it's the opposite way. So now you have the leader who is not living anything, but there are a few people that are there that are. And you'll see in this letter, he said, there are a few of them that are that are walking holy. But for the most part, you are not. 
You are appearing to be alive when in fact you are dead. You are dead. So if I can speak on behalf of those leaders who are truly living a godly life, who are truly studying the God word, they are, they can exegete the scriptures. They can rightly divide the word of truth. They pray, they fast, they study, but you have people. I'm talking to the people today who refuse to grow. The people who are looking alive because your leader is alive, but you indeed are dead. And see, in times past, I not thought that it would it was a, a a thing, a big a big thing if people weren't growing. I I thought that okay, but well they're sheep. Well they're sheep, and sheep do as they told, and sheep follow. That's what they do. But God is saying here to this church, no, because I know your deeds. And guess what he says in chapter and verse two of chapter three, he says, you need to wake up and you need to be and you need to strengthen and reaffirm reaffirm what remains. And then in parentheses in the Amplified Version, it says, of your faithful commitment to me. You need to examine what remains of your faithful commitment to me, which is about to die. Even that little that remains, it's about to die. And guess what he says? For I have not found any of your deeds completed in the sight of my God or meeting his requirements and meeting his requirements. See this church in Sardis, he, he's saying to them where the people are appearing to be growing in Christ, but instead they are stagnant. And this letter is calling them out on it. He's saying, you are standing in the same place from year to year. Or how about this? You're going in circles, round and round, the same behaviors. You pick them up, you put them back down, then you pick them up again. This letter is telling us that God is rejecting. He's rejecting the believer that chooses not to grow into his likeness and his being. And I'm not talking about titles here. I'm not talking the about the layman that goes from the layman to the deacon and from the deacon to the pastor and from the pastor to the teacher and from the teacher to the... I'm not talking about titles here. I'm talking about the hard stuff. I'm talking about growing into the character of Christ, growing into that stature of the measure of Christ by dying to the flesh so that your spirit can live. He's saying you appear to be living, but you indeed are dead. Why? Because you have not grown. And like I told you, I even myself thought, okay, well, they're, they're sheep and sheep just follow. They don't really, you know, but God is saying here, no, that's a problem. It's a problem when you do not grow into my likeness and image. It's a problem when you do not mature into a person that can rightly divide the word of truth, a person that can read the scriptures and interpret the scriptures according to the revelation that God has given you. It's a problem when you can't hear God. It's a problem when you cannot, you cannot obey the spirit because you're flesh is so unruly. You've let it get so out of control. God says here, you're incomplete. 
You're incomplete. Your deeds, he says, I have not found any of your deeds completed. So that which I put inside you, we talked about last week, that breath that I blew inside of you, you did nothing with it. You did absolutely nothing. You're worse than the person that did a whole lot of things trying to figure it out. You did absolutely nothing. You tried nothing. You did nothing. So, you know, at one point I used to say, gosh, do something, try something. I remember one time on my sister's uh, podcast, she had someone on and they were saying, well, I tried this and I knew this wasn't for me. And I tried that and I knew that wasn't for me. And God knows I tried this and that wasn't for me. But the point is they tried until they figured out what God was calling them to. We are lazy. We won't try anything. We won't try anything. And guess what? If we do try something, the minute we are met with an obstacle, we turn around and say, oh, that wasn't God. That, that, that couldn't have been God. I misunderstood because it got hard, because it got difficult. We immediately turn around and go back and pick up the thing that we are used to. We go and pick up the way we do the thing, that we, the way we're doing it, the way we used to do it. We go back and pick that up because that's easier. It's easier for me to do it this way because I know this way, that way requires too much. That way requires too much. It's we, we don't want to press, to press to a new knowledge and a new understanding of who God is. And that's what God is calling for in this church of Sardis. He said, you, you had me, but you pushed me aside. And then once you pushed me aside, you picked up another doctrine and then you assigned a name to that doctrine. And then you assigned a leader to that doctrine. You assigned protection to that doctrine. And now I'm, I'm calling you on it. I'm calling you on your laziness. I'm calling you that your flesh seems to be growing far more than your spirit to the point where you're out of control. And it's all because you want, we're back to this word again. It's all because we want to do what is comfortable. But to grow in God, you are going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Now, I promise you, it'll only be for a moment and it will come and go. You will have fleeting moments of discomfort. You will have um, fleeting moments of fear where you have to do it afraid. But guess what? Those moments are just that moments. They don't last always. As you grow in God, you're going to keep encountering these moments of discomfort where you want to turn back from doing something a new way to doing it the way you used to do it because you're more comfortable that way. But it's kind of, we're coming to a place in time where we really got to examine. We must examine our actions. We must examine how we do things, why we do things to make sure that we are aligning with God's will and purpose for our lives, whether it be an event, whether it be writing a book, whether it be speaking publicly, we must examine what we were, what we are doing and measure it by the word of God. And if the word of God says something different, we have to be willing to change our our thought process. We have to be willing to change how we are doing it 
based on what the word of God says, which means we have to retrain sometimes our mind. We have to retrain our thoughts. We have to retrain our actions. And I promise you, I'm not trying to make light of it. It is hard. It is difficult. If you've been doing something the same way for 30 years, you're, you're not just going to stop doing it that way all of a sudden. It takes a conscious effort and a conscious practice to change. It takes a conscious effort and practice to change. It's something that you have to constantly remind yourself of over and over again. No, not that way. I must do it this way. Why? Because I am trying to please God. It is about me trying to please God. I do not want God to tell me when I stand before him that my deeds are incomplete. I have not met his requirements is what the amplified version is telling us. Wake up and strengthen, reaffirm what has remained of your faithful commitment to me, which is about to die. For I have not found any of your deeds completed in the sight of God or meeting any of his requirements and everything that they've done and everything that they've said incomplete and everything that they've done and everything that they said, you have not met not one of my requirements. See, this is what happens when we go and do things and say things out of the flesh. We mess around and we do not meet any of God's requirements. And he assigns us an incomplete. I don't know what, for those of us who you remember when we were in school and we were younger, if you were getting an incomplete, the teacher just put a line. They just put a line. There wasn't a check mark. Like I noticed that this is done, like marking it off as completed. It was a line through it. Incomplete. You get no credit for that. When are we going to get tired of doing things that God does not want? When are we going to get tired of giving God things that he does not want? When it only takes a second to ask him and follow through, even though it's difficult, even though we don't understand, even though we might have to get some help. I don't understand all the time everything that I must have to do, that I may have to do, excuse me, in Christ. I don't always understand. 90, 90% of the time, I don't understand. So I search the scriptures. I have a leader I ha and I have the Holy Spirit. And I ask him, tell me what this means. Explain this to me. And he will teach it to me. I could go to my leader and say, this is what I'm thinking. What say you? And I can get direction. When are we going to get it that we don't have to do everything by ourselves? Each part of the body. I said it last week. God purposely fitly joined it together. He joined his breath in me with my with your breath in you. You have something that I need. I have something that you need. And as we exchange, we each grow into the stature of the image of Christ. Why? Because we take on a new understanding. We breathe a new breath. But see, we don't, we don't like nobody telling us anything. We'd rather just go down the wrong road. And, and just off the cliff, 
before somebody can tell us something. But I'm telling you, you don't have to do it alone is what I'm saying. You don't have to do it alone. Most of you that are under the sound of my voice, you know of ministries that you can go to and you can receive help or you have ministries where you have those good leaders that I was referring to, those that rightly divine the word of truth, those that can provide you direction and instruction. Why would you want to go it alone? Why would you want to go it alone? Do you not know that if you join yourself with that body, not only does that leader have something to deposit in you, but you have something to deposit as well into that ministry. You have something too that can make that the ministry wheel turn a lot easier. You have a contribution too. You have something to contribute to if you grow up. If you grow up. Because the leader can't do nothing with what's incomplete. He can't do anything with any, he can't do anything that's not met God's requirements. He can't do anything. She can't do anything with that. She can't do anything with that. And it's a, it's a shame on you, people. Shame on you. If your leader, if your leader is, has turned a corner and matured and grown in God and showed you throughout the years throughout the years what he or she, how he or she has matured in God's word and they share with you experiences and you are the exact same place you were, let's say a year ago, let's say two years ago. Do we ever take the time to look back over the year and, and, and literally say, hey, what have I learned? How have I grown? And how, how have I exhibited to my leader so that they know so that they know that I that they are not alone, that I am with them. How have I matured into the stature of the image of Christ that they have taught me and took that and, and studied it at home and multiplied it so I could bring something back in wisdom and bring something back and understand it and help them carry the load? What have I done? but stood on the sidelines. We got to do more than stand on the sidelines. Listen, for what God is about to do in this time, there, he is preparing the church. He is preparing his body. He's cleaning up his body, his remnant. And there's millions of people in this remnant all over the world. So that you, those of you who are under the sound of my voice, you know you are part of that remnant. God is calling you to a place of repentance of that which you know not of, that you can ask him, what God, what am I doing that is displeasing to you? What am I bringing to you that's incomplete? What am I bringing to you that's not fulfilling your requirements? I promise you he'll tell you if you want to know. He will tell you if you want to know. So you got to ask him. And then when he tells you and when he directs you to his word to fix it, fix it. Fix it. Work at it. You have to deliberately work at it. Work at fixing it so that when you enter into your sanctuaries again with your leader, your leader sees something different. Your leader sees someone different. You, you're, you're, you've left your past behaviors behind, your past ways behind, your past understanding behind, and you've adopted a new way of understanding Christ. You've adopted revelation of who Christ is, and he can see it working in you, or she can see it working in your members so that they will know that they are not alone. 
So they will know this. We sit too quietly sometimes on the sideline, cheering them on when they're like, can you get in a fight with me? Can we work this thing together? Can we work this thing together? I'm willing. I'm willing to pull from you as you have pulled from me all this year. I'm willing to pull from you that which God has deposited so that the remnant can have everything that they need. But to, in order for your leader to pull it from you, it has to be matured. It must mature. He can't do anything with anything that's immature. How do I know that? Because God can't. He can't do anything with anything that's incomplete. He can't do anything with anything that has yet to meet the requirements. We must sacrifice our will on the altar. Burn it up. Burn it up. At this point, what is it, when are we going to get to the point where it doesn't matter to us what we want? And it matters to us more what God wants. See, we can't put other people before us because we have yet to put God before us. We can't put other people's desire, desires and needs before our own because we can't put God's before our own. We are selfish, arrogant and prideful and prideful in the natural. That's why God can't do anything with us. God must be first. We must understand this. It's about God. It's always going to be about God. Never going to be about you. Get that. Never going to be, never, ever, ever to the never going to be about you. It's always going to be about God. It's always going to be about God. God's words do not return to him void. That's why we speak them so that they can do the work that they are sent to accomplish to do. Our words, nothing. You can talk about your experience and it can help someone in a time of need. Other than that, God, 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 God. What are we talking? God, 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 God. We're, whose words are we using? God, 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 God. That's all we talk about. That's all we got. That's all we got. We want to be in a place. We want to be in a place where God can use us for his glory. And for that, we're going to have to be fasting. We're going to have to be praying. We are going to have to draw nigh to God so that God will draw nigh to us. He will keep his promises. When are we going to keep ours? When are we going to keep ours? See, this church of Sardis, this church, this church is known for silver and gold coins. They were the first ones to create that. They, they are known for wealth. They have it. They have it. So it was very easy for them to get distracted and all caught up in everything they could have and everything they could do in the flesh, in the flesh. So it took a conscious effort. It took a conscious effort, as it does today, a conscious effort to put aside all that we can do and all that we can be about in the world, in the world. It takes a conscious effort to put all that aside and literally just focus on God. Everything we do, everything we say, measure it by God. Are we going to get it right every day? Nope. That's why we got grace. But dad, we ain't even trying some of us aren't even trying. The scriptures are telling us right here. Some of us, mm -mm, we're not even meeting the requirements. We're not, we're not, we're, we're, uh, we're not even complete. We're not even complete in him. See, we have to understand that our identity, it lies in Christ, in the name of Christ, not in ourselves not in ourselves. I cannot sit here and just talk to you about Marie. That is not going to help you. 
that is not going to help you. Now, can I tell you about some experiences that Maria has had? I sure can. As it relates to the word of God, it will be helpful to you to have a real life experience to engage by what I'm saying. But past that, we give people too much us, too much us, too much us, too much flesh. And God can't do anything with that. It's incomplete. It is incomplete, incomplete. See, in the, in the city of Sardis, right, the rich folk, they lived up in the mountaintop. And the, the, the okay to do folks, you know, they lived at the lower end of the mountain. So there was a clear separation in the city between the wealthy, the, the knowledgeable. It was a clear line because of their residence. One lived up high, one lived down low. So what this scripture is telling us, in a sense, it's the same thing in the kingdom of God, in the in the understanding and in the wisdom of God. We have our leaders that that are of Christ that live up low, high, live up high, but the people who are proclaiming to be alive but are dead, you're living down low. It's a clear distinction. See, we think, we think that that God doesn't see us. And what God is saying here, I see you. You're living too low. You're living too low. Can you come up to the mountaintop? Can you come up to the mountain? Your leader has invited you there. He or she has invited you. Can you come up to the mountain of understanding? Can we come up to the mountain of knowledge and wisdom? Can we come up just to the measure of the stature of Christ? I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you to meet him eye to eye, but can we come up to just the, just the, just the, he's here. Can you come up to a measure? Can we, can we come up a little higher to where Christ is to, can we get an understanding, a new understanding, a new wisdom, a new revelation of who Christ is? Can we come out of Sunday school and actually into service? Okay. No more. Can we come out of Sunday school and actually into service? Can we do that? Or are we going to insist on staying at the Sunday school level and you're, no, you're not able to be used at the service level? Because it seems like we're still trying to stay at the Sunday school level because that's just so comfortable to sing, yes, Jesus loves me. It's so comfortable to have the storybook with the big words and the coloring book and we can color in the picture of the lesson for today and we didn't have to actually articulate that lesson. We just colored in the pictures with our favorite colors because it's about us and we read our favorite words and we memorized our verse that we're going to forget as soon as Sunday school is over. And we have our Sunday school 20 uh, change that our parents gave us when we left the house and we're just sitting there and, and waiting for the word of God to come. And when the man or woman of God who studied the word and fasted over the word and prayed over the word comes. We're sitting there with our coloring books and crowns in Sunday school. And we're just going to color in the colors that we like because we brought in our crown box, our colors that we like, only those colors that we like, you know, and then we're going because we're not even willing to share with our neighbor. And we're just going to come and color it in. And then we're going to give our change, half of the change, because we got to hit the candy store after Sunday school because we got to We got to eat. We got to have what we want. And so we're just going to do it our way. We're going to stay in Sunday school class with our nice coloring book and crown and lesson books. We're never going to enter into service. We're just never going to do that because it's comfortable over here. See, if I enter into service now, I got to I got to I got to withstand a whole nother set of lessons. And it's too strict. 
to be in service. God is just asking too much. It's too strict, too many requirements. I don't feel like going through the rebukes that come with when I make a misstep. I just, I'll just stay right here with my Sunday school book. And I'll just, you know, because listen, second Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, the old, it's passed away. Behold the new, the new has come. When are we going to gravitate towards the old and leave, I mean, gravitate towards the new? When are we going to gravitate towards the new and leave the old where it belongs in the past? See, right now we're standing in the middle. I see you. I see you. You're standing in the middle and you reach back for the old out of convenience and out of familiarity. And then the new, you touch it every now and then. You touch it every now and then, but the minute you put your whole hand on it, if it feels a little heated, gets a little hot, take your hand off of that, go back, get the old, because you're comfortable with the old. You're comfortable with the old. But see, we're coming to a place now where God's going to destroy the old. You will have nothing to go back to. So you either move to the no, move to the new, or you stand stagnant and, and, and unmovable and unshakable in the middle in the middle. In other words, you remain incomplete. You remain what God would call unfulfilled. You have fulfilled nothing. See, 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, but you are a chosen generation. We already noticed you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession, just so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you from darkness into his marvelous light. But we don't want to proclaim anything because see, the minute we open our mouths, we're, we're open to persecution and we don't want the persecution. We don't want to suffer nothing. We even lazy in our suffering. It takes too much effort to suffer, take too much effort to fight back. It's easier to stand between darkness and light. That's a little bit easier. It's easier to stand between darkness and light. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in God who loved me and who gave himself for me. See, we're not even willing to move from darkness to light. We prefer to stay in the place of dissension. See, because if I ascend, now I need to come up with some gifts. I got to what? Be able to produce something. We or see what we're coming to now. You, we can't, we no longer can stand between death and life. We no longer can stand between death and life. We must choose one. You're either going to die, death, stay descended and have a place, be in a place of incomplete or unfulfilled with Christ, or we're going to choose life. And yes, when you choose life, you must manifest something. When you ascend, you must manifest as Christ did when he gave gifts unto men. He gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He gave gifts of healing, gifts of administration. You must ascend and be able to distribute gifts to men, which means you must ascend with something. So you don't get to just ascend. You don't get to just be in the light. You don't get to just, you will not get Mark completed. You will not be considered fulfilled if you can't give out. If you can't give out. So for those of us who want to uh, present with our hands closed, 
We want to present with, with no, no word of lifting, no word of distribution, no word of sacrifice, no saving grace. You can't distribute it. You can't distribute it unfulfilled, unfulfilled and complete. Incomplete. Why? Because you're trying to live between death and life. You're trying to live between death and life. Uh, let's go to Revelations um, 1 and 4 real quick. I just want to readdress this where I talked about, where he talked about the seven spirits of God. When he said here, the seven spirits of God, I believe he says that in verse one in chapter three, that is also in verse one, chapter four. And it says to John, to the seven churches, which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him, which is, and which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits of God, which which are before his throne. Now, as I begin to search this out to understand what the seven spirits of God, what he was referencing, different um, readings pointed me to, one pointed me to Isaiah 11. And I wanted to understand what the seven spirits of God were. In Isaiah 11 and 11, it says in the King James Version, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And that is the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall judge not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the equity and the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his lines and loins and Faithfulness, the girdle of his reins, the seal, the container, or the application of the seven spirits. This is what this is what I was pointing to as defining the seven spirits. It would be the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. Now, I was also pointed to Romans 12 and 5 where it says, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching, um, let's see, or he, verse eight, that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him giveth with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So it was saying here that uh, this that this reference was saying, these are the seven spirits or, or referred to as the seven spirits. And it would be insight, prophecy, helpfulness, service or ministry, instruction, teaching, exhortation, encouragement, generosity, giving, guidance, leadership, ruling or, um, and mercy, compassion, right? So this is, a, these are some of the scriptures that other theologians pointed to as referencing the seven spirits of God. However, 
However, I want to go down with you. I want you to go down back to Revelations 3 to, um, let's see, um, I guess I'll, I guess I'll start with um, Revelations 3 and 3, because I want to show you something that God showed me about the seven spirits. And it says, so remember and take heart in the lessons you have received and heard, keep and obey them and repent. Change your sinful way of thinking and demonstrate your repentance with new behavior that proves a conscious decision to turn away from sin. And this is the amplified version saying this, right? And it's saying, so then if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. That is, and this is the amplified version saying in parentheses, that is contaminated their character and personal and personal integrity with sin. And they, they will walk with me. They will be dressed in white because they are worthy of righteousness. They are worthy of righteousness. Now I want to go back and I want to look at that in another version. Let me see. Where am I looking at it at? I am going to go, let's see. Um, do I want to go to the King James version? Let me see here. So remember to take heart. Okay. Let me go down a little bit. Um, let me continue. Let me just continue with this verse. Um, so then if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come but you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. And I'm going down to verse five. He who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the son of God, this is the amplified version, will accordingly be dressed in white clothing. And I will never blot out his name from the book of life. And I will confess and openly acknowledge his name before my father and before his angel saying that he is one of mine. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the spirit says to the churches. Now I'm going to go back up to the seven spirits of God, because what I was referencing earlier with the seven spirits of God, when I talked about where one theologian pointed me to Isaiah 11, another pointed me to Romans 12 and five, right? When you talk about the spirit of God, and it made me think of God in Genesis one, because when it talks about the spirit the seven spirits of God. It made me think about God himself. So when I think about God himself, I automatically went to Genesis one. I went to Genesis one and it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved and it, upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And God saw, God saw um, the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. And God called um, the light day and the darkness he called night. And I'm going to verse six. And he said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the water from the waters. And then I'm going down to verse 11, where it says, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, manifest vision, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself 
upon the earth, and it was so. So again, I'm back to um, verse one, where it says, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. And as I told you, I was directed through one theologian to Isaiah 11 to understand the seven spirits of God. And then I was directed by another version to Romans 12 and five to understand the spirit of God. But I got directed by God to understand the spirit of God, to understand God himself. Then I went to Genesis one. And when I got to Genesis one, where it says in the beginning, God created. So I understand that God creates the seven spirits of God. I'm talking about the seven spirits of God. So I understand one of them is he can create. It's who he is. He can create, right? Then it says in verse two, and God was without form. And I'm sorry. And the earth was without form. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved. The spirit of God has movement. The spirit of God has movement. Verse three says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The spirit of God speaks. It can speak, creates. It has movement. It can speak. Verse four, and God saw. The spirit of God can see. He saw the light and that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness and God called the light day and darkness he called night. God has power. We know he creates. We know he can. He has movement. We know that he speaks. We know that he sees. We know that he has power. Those are verses one through five. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. He has vision. We know that God creates. He has movement. He speaks. He can see, he has power, he has vision. And then if we go down to verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, a seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. We know that he manifests vision. He can manifest vision. We know that he creates. We know that there is movement in Christ. We know that he speaks. We know that he can see. We know that he has power. We know that he has vision. And we know that he can manifest that vision. So while the other theologians pointed me to Isaiah 11 and um, Romans 12, I begin to understand that it that those two references made me want to go to me myself studying. This is me saying I was I began to study it. I'm like, okay, if we're talking about the spirit of God, then we need to understand who God is. What is it that God does? What is it that God can do? See, because when I look at when I look at Romans um, twelve and five, it told me how the Spirit of God manifests. When I looked at it, it told me that whether it's prophecy, whether it's ministry, whether it's teaching, whether it's exhortation, whether it's ruling, whether it's mercy, those are things that God can can give those are things that God does but then when, and then when I looked at Isaiah 11 it told me about the spirit of the Lord the spirit of wisdom the spirit of understanding counsel and might um let me see knowledge and fear and then it talked about he exercises those things in righteousness and 
faithfulness. So it, it really just threw me over to understanding in Genesis 1, the, the very character of God. It began to help me understand the very character of God. Hence what I'm referring to as the very spirit of God, the very spirit of God. So we must understand that when we're, when God here is referencing himself, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. When we're thinking about the seven spirits of God, and we're talking about a God who blew his breath into us and gave us life somewhere in us should be the ability to create, to move, to speak, to see, to operate in power, to have vision and to manifest that vision, whether it be in prophecy, Romans 12 and 5, whether it be in ministry, teaching, exhorting, um, um, ruling, whether it be showing God's mercy, whether it be operating through the spirit of wisdom, Isaiah 11, understanding, counsel, or might, whether it be girded up and, and moving through righteousness and faithfulness, all of this is in the breath of God. In other words, what I'm saying is we have no need to be incomplete. There is no way Christ should be unfulfilled with what we present to him. Why? Because we have his breath. And we know in his breath, because it's in him, he creates, he moves, he speaks, he can see, he has power, he has vision, he can manifest that vision. So it should operate in us <clears throat> and prophecy and ministry, exhortation and ruling. We should be able to show mercy. We should have a spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and bite. We should have a spirit of knowledge, no need to be incomplete, which means if we are incomplete, if Christ considers us unfulfilled, we have made a choice. We have made a choice, which is why he comes at them so so, so specifically when he tells them, you have a few people that have made a choice. You have a few people in Sardis. They've chosen not to soil their clothes. They've chosen not to soil themselves with sin. They've chosen not to. They have taken to heart the lessons they had received and they have heard that they have heard and they chose to obey them. However, there are some of us who refuse to change our sinful ways of thinking. Our, we don't want to demonstrate repentance. We don't want to. We don't want to use the breath that God gave us to create <clears throat> that which is pleasing to God, to speak that which is pleasing to God, to see what God wants us to see, to operate in his power, to have vision and manifest that vision. We have no desire to move from the place to dis of dissension, to arise with gifts of prophecy and ministry and teaching and exhorting and be able to rule and operate in mercy. We have no desire to be ones that have a spirit of wisdom and understanding, be able to administer counsel and operate in the might of God or in the knowledge of God. That is a choice, ladies and gentlemen. That is a 
choice. That is a choice. That's a, this is why he says to the church to wake up. This is why he tells the church of Sardis to remember. Because to wake up and remember is something you got to do. It's something that we have to do. It's something that they had to do. What he's saying is, I am not going to do it for you. You wake up. Wake your own self up. You remember. You remember the lessons that you were taught. Remember the things that you have learned. Remember the things that you have heard. And you put them into practice. You put them into operation. And then I can receive your deeds as completed. I can receive your deeds as fulfilled. So when we, as we go throughout our course of our day, the course of our week, we must revisit and visit if we can remember consciously, it remember it takes a conscious practice. You have to do it on purpose to visit our deeds, visit what we're thinking, what we're seeing, what we're doing, what we're putting our hands to. We have to constantly examine and say, okay, is this what God is requiring? Would God, with the knowledge I know of God, would he take this as completed or is this incomplete? Is this, is this a straight line? Is this just unfulfilled? This is nothing. He didn't, he doesn't have his hand in it at all. And guess what? If we're joined to the body fitly as we should be, we can measure those things by others. We don't always have to. I told we don't have to know everything. We're fitly placed in the body. We can we can bounce that idea off someone. I'm thinking about doing this, that, that, this, and the other. We have we have. They are faithful, committed leaders. There are leaders who study, pray, uh, and fast to be able to administer the word of knowledge and truth to us. To get that can that can help us when we're not sure. But we have to open our mouths and and be willing to seek out the help and say, Hey, listen, this is what I'm thinking. What do what do you think about that? This is what I'm thinking that God is telling me to do. They might say yes. They might say no. They might say wait. Not a favorite word of, of most of us. We don't like the wait word, but sometimes wait is good because wait is maturing. Wait is maturing. However, for this church, for this particular church, God is saying you already have the word. You have the understanding. You go remember it. Remember what you was taught. You already have it. You already have the wisdom of the matter. You just have to remember it. You just have to make a conscious choice not to soil, not to soil your yourselves with the sin of, with the sin of, guess what? Of incomplete, with the sin of ungrowth, no growth. You just have to make the choice. You just have to make the decision. And then he's saying, and then he's saying, I will receive you once you make the choice, once you make the choice. But uh, again, it's up to us to make the choice. We have to make a conscious choice because God is, he's, he's assembling He's assembling those who are called by his name, who are going to be looking for a ready word of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of prophecy, of teaching, of exhortation. And to give them that word, we must be matured in Christ. We must be willing to set aside the sin, the sin of incomplete 
the sin of incomplete to grow into the wisdom and knowledge of Christ. We must be willing, willing to exercise our creativity. I'll be the first. Many of you that know me have heard me say, I'm not creative type. Well, I had to relinquish that statement because God creates and the breath that he blew into me says that I can create. That breath that he blew, blew into me says that I don't have to stay stagnant. I am movement. I can move. I can speak. I can see. I have power. I have vision. I can manifest vision. Come on. My very name means it. I can't deny it. I manifest the promises of God. You have to know the breath of Christ in me allows me to move from the place of dissension to the place of ascension. And I've got gifts of prophecy, teaching, exhortation, a ruling of mercy to give unto men. I have it to give. I have it to give, but to give it, I must repent from the sin of in complete the title of today's topic the sin of incomplete god deliver us from the sin of incomplete the sin of unfulfilled deliver us from the sin of incomplete <clears throat> let's pray father god in the name of jesus we yield humbly unto you we kneel humbly unto you with our hands uplifted God and we relinquish the sin the filth the filth of incomplete and we ask you God to purge us from filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the spirit and perfect holiness in us we want to walk worthy of the vocation wherein we are called we want to stand up right before you we want to present to you that which is fulfilling to you that which is complete to you we want to walk in creativity we want to walk in power we want God touch our eyes we want to see we want to have vision we want to manifest vision and purpose with the breath God that you belong into us God we don't want to tarnish be tarnished any longer with the sin of incomplete God we lift our hands up unto you God cleanse us oh God we yield our being unto you oh God not another day God in the name of Jesus will we allow will we allow what you have taught us to go sit by the wayside God and and be blown aside by the wind God but God we desire God that it will begin to yield fruit more fruit and much more fruit God work in us your good works your good conscience your good patience work in us and work through us oh God we yield, oh God. We yield, oh God, to your purpose today, God. Work it in us, oh God. We want you to prepare us, oh God, to fulfill the work of your hand in and through us, oh God. Let not a word fall to the ground, God. Cause us to remember that which we've been taught. Cause us to remember, God, that which has been imparted to us, God. Every prophecy that has been spoken over us. Timothy, I stir you up. I stir 
stir you up. Wake up the prophecy. Timothy's out there. Wake up the prophecy that has been spoken over your lives, spoken over your hearts, spoken in your minds. It is in your thoughts waiting to be manifested, waiting to be walked out. Wake up Zion and take on your strength. I speak throughout the airwaves to a sleeping Zion and I cause you to wake up and rise up in the strength of God and take your place in him. Take your rightful place in God. Take your place of ascension so that you can distribute, begin to distribute the gifts of God unto men. So you can begin to distribute the gifts of prophecy. So that you can begin to distribute the gifts of knowledge. So that you can begin to distribute the gift of wisdom. So that you can begin to distribute that which God has imparted through you, through wisdom and knowledge and revelation. I cause your mind to begin to create now. I wake up the spirit of God in you that you would begin to, that creativity would begin to rise up in you in the name of Jesus. That you would begin to see that which God has called you to. That you would begin to be able to call it into existence. That you begin to be able to speak it. I cause your mouth to open up and speak what God has given you to speak and manifest in the earth realm. In the name of Jesus, wake up sleeping Zion. In the name of the Lord God, the blood of Jesus pulls you out of your state of slumber and causes you to stand to manifest the promises of God in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God. I speak a word of encouragement to God's leaders, every apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, those who operate in the gifts. I speak a word of encouragement to leadership in the name of Jesus, that you will begin to take on strength, that you will begin to take on might, that you will begin to take on more power in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you yourself will begin to walk worthy, walk worthy, walk worthy, knowing that you have a backing behind you, knowing that the saints of God are rising up and you are not alone. I speak to your mind and I shut down every demonic force that would try to tell you that you're alone. I shut down every demonic force that would try to tell you that you don't have no one but you cry. God is standing up in you and he's going to stand up in the people of God that are with you. You're not alone. God strengthen you for the remnant now. God strengthen you for the remnant now. Now, now, as your people join hand in hand leaders to walk with you through this place of ministry, through this place of strength, through this place of creativity, through this place of knowledge, through this place of wisdom, the Lord God rest. The Lord, the wisdom of the Lord God rest on your minds. Rest in your heart. The strength of God be in your hands. The strength of God be in your feet. The peace of God, the peace of God cover you, cover you. No more wrestling with demonic forces that would tell you alone. No more wrestling. Korashai. I gird your minds up, leaders, with the blood of God. 
with the blood of Jesus, with the blood of Jesus, with the blood of Jesus, he strengthen you now. He cover you now. The blood of Jesus cover your ear gates now. The blood of Jesus cover your minds now. I call for every leader to be strengthened in God. Strengthen the foundation on which they stand, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God, be a strength to your leaders today, God. Send your encouraging angels out to encourage your leaders today, God. Strengthen them, strengthen them in their mind, strengthen them in their heart, strengthen their hands to do the work. Strengthen their hands, strengthen their hands, strengthen their mouths. Give them instruction in the name of Jesus. Give them direction, give them strategy in the name of Jesus. And God, thank you for raising up these laborers with a mind to work. Thank you for raising up these laborers with a mind to work, a mind to build a mind to build. Thank you for raising up Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. Thank you for raising up Ezra's to rebuild the altar. Thank you, oh God. We bless your holy name. We give you glory. We give you honor. We bless you. 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 Thank you, Lord God. 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 Thank you for joining me on this evening. Thank you so much for joining me on this evening. I admonish you today to get into a place of prayer. Don't just pray for your leadership, but pray for yourself. Pray for your family. God is going to begin to raise up some of your family members to help labor, to help labor, to help labor. Because guess what? While you were laboring, you were their priest. In the home, you were their priest, so they have a message. They heard the words, they heard the messages that you ministered unto them as you were the priest, as you received it. And God is going to begin to raise up your family members to help carry the load. Because guess what? I hear a bum rush, I hear running, I hear running. The remnant is on the way, the remnant is on their way, and they are looking for people that have a ready word of God in their mouths. And that's what God is saying to these people in Revelations. He's giving them grace, just giving them grace and pointing out to them where they're going wrong so they can repent and turn around. So repent, repent from the sin, repent from the sin of stagnation, the, the sin of, of, of not growing. Repent, turn away. Turn away from stagnation. Turn away from standing between light and darkness. Turn away. Turn away and begin to move forward. While the road might be narrow and you might not be able to see everything that is in front of you, you're going to have to trust that God is going to guide your footsteps. He is not going to let you fall. Not this time. Leaders, not this time. God is not going to let you fail. He's not going to let you fall. Not this time. Remember the words that I'm speaking to you today. Not this time. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God is going to raise up a standard. Guess who's going to be standing on the standard? That's going to be you. That's going to be you standing on the standard. And if you're standing on that standard, guess what? Guess what? You cannot fall. Your foot will not slip. Your foot will 
not slip. I said your foot will not slip. Not this time. Not this time. When you come up against the enemy, tell the enemy, not this time. Not this time. The blood of Jesus protects me. Not this time, enemy. Not this time. I'm going to finish the work assigned to my hand. Not this time. Not this time. I won't be caught up in situations and circumstances and distracted and distracted with things that God doesn't care about. Not this time. Not this time. Not this time. Not this time. Thank you so much for joining me on this evening. This is the Manifesting God podcast. I will see you on next Monday at 7 p.m. Thank you so much for joining. Please share this broadcast. Keep my family in your prayers. And I am praying for each and every one of you under the sound of my voice. Know that I am praying for you. Tell the enemy, not this time.